Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 10. I'm reading from the English English Standard Version. Uh, It should be on the screen for you as well. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, the Apostle Paul writing, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Father, we thank you for your word, recorded by the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, for our instruction. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you'd be our teacher You'd be the revealer of truth to each one of us and help us as we would share these few thoughts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. For some time now, we've been asking um, you as a congregation to be in prayer regarding the possible merger of Northwest Family Church and Church on the Hills to become a new church called Journey Church. Well, on Tuesday, we had our meeting, and at that meeting, there was an overwhelming majority that voted uh, in the affirmative for us to merge with Church in the Hills. In fact, between the two congregations um, of um, some 200 votes combined, whatever, um, there was only six that either were a spoiled ballot or voted no. And so it was an overwhelming um, affirmation from both congregations to merge into one church called the Journey Church. And um, so in September, September 9th, will be our first service together as two congregations coming together in one. And so um, my wife and I were talking and thinking, so the Labor Day weekend Sunday, which would then be the 7th, no, the 2nd, September 2nd, um, will be kind of our last service as Northwest Family Church. Um, after, the, after that, we're going to be joining together with Church on the Hills under Journey Church. So we want to make that Sunday special. And we want to make it memorable and uh, something that we can remember. So for that Sunday, I'm thinking we should have a um, barbecue. We should have... Um, some testimonies, we should have some, you know, rejoicing together in the things that God has done, because also, September 9th is the 30th anniversary of Northwest Family Church. So as a church, we've been existing for 30 years, not in this building, obviously, it's not that old, but uh, in the early days, we were in the school, community centers, uh, other church buildings, I used to tell people, you can come if you can find us, and uh, so we were kind of wandering for about 10 years before we finally got this building, but Church in the Hills have been wandering for 20 years. So 20 years of history there, 30 years of history here. 
when I went to school, 20 and 30 was 50. In the Bible, 50 is the year of Jubilee. And so we're going to have a, a rejoicing time as we come together. But on, on that Labor Day weekend, we just like to have a, a special um, celebration. Uh, we're going to have communion together, um, hearing testimonies from you. And so if you've got maybe some, what God has done in your life since being here, whatever, we want to give place for that. And so if you want to let us know so we can just kind of um, gauge that and include it, it'd be great. Um, so it'll be uh, just a great family gathering. But as we think of two congregations coming together, as believers, how are we to act? Because we're going to be around some new people, some with different backgrounds, some with different personalities. We're going to experience changes, and we may not like all of the changes, but it's going to be different. How are we to act? What characteristics are we to exhibit as a group of Christians coming together to form a new church? What needs to be the priority? I believe the scripture is very clear that we are to pursue and maintain unity. If we call ourselves Christians, which we are, amen, then what is recorded in Ephesians 4, 1 to 10 is not optional. It's not up for debate. It isn't if I feel like it. It came by the Holy Spirit, so unity is is to be expected. Even if we disagree over opinions or tastes, we're called to be people of God together. Paul is writing here to a church made up of Jews and Gentiles. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different experiences, different opinions on issues. And the Apostle Paul is urging them to maintain and pursue unity as one church. Paul doesn't just give a command and so be it. He grounds the command in what God has done for them. And because of the gospel, this, Paul says, is how we're supposed to act. This is our response. So what has God done for us and how are we supposed to respond? I believe that we too need to be eager to maintain unity. Notice verses one to three. He says, I therefore. Now when you see the word therefore, you need to think, what is it therefore? Why does he use the word therefore? I therefore. And the word therefore is because of chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 of Ephesians. Everything flows out of the previous chapter. In chapter 1, and you can read it on your own, verse 1 to 3, he's talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in unison to bring redemption. In chapter 2, he's talking about we were once enemies of God, but now God, by his grace through love, He has reconciled us to the Father. And then further in chapter 2, he's saying God has taken the Jews and the Gentiles, two people groups, and he brings them together into one body. God is forming one body. So he says, I, therefore, because of those things that God has done for us, I urge you, not suggest to you, or hope you'll think this over, but I urge you, to walk worthy in a manner worthy, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
He says, I urge you. This is not a passive word. It's an engaging word. I urge. In other words, he's saying, I beg you to consider what God has done for you. Now, when I grew up, which was a long time ago, I'm still growing up, in fact, but when I was a kid, we used to hear often in church, generally on, that was way back when we had Sunday night services. Does anybody remember when you had Sunday night services? We used to have Sunday night services that it was kind of called the, the, the praise and the worship and the, the time when people would stand and share a testimony of what God had done in their life. And some of them were up-to-date testimonies. Some were 40 years old. But it was still what God had done in their life. I think with the progress of time and everything hasn't been bad, that's for sure. But we've lost something. In the encouragement and the declaration of remembering what has God done for us. Now, I don't doubt that in our smaller gatherings or when you're meeting with somebody or talking with somebody, you're reporting the things that God has done in your life. And what it does when you do that, it solidifies and seals and strengthens what God has been doing. I mean, way back in the Old Testament, we we read where God told the nation of Israel that they were to remind their kids what God had done. They were to build memorials, and they were to teach them when they get up, when they lie down, when they walk, and all through life, teach them the things that God has done. Remember the old song we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. It is good to remind ourselves of the things that God has done. Because in so doing, we remember that at one time we used to be enemies of God. We had nothing to do with him. But because of the love and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ went through, we've been reconciled to the Father. We can experience his love and his grace and his mercy. And because of the power of the gospel, our lives are different. Amen? Our lives are different. And so Paul is saying, I urge you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness of patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice what he says there, eager to maintain the unity. It isn't as if it's something we have to create. Because friends... When you meet a brother or sister in, the, in Christ, we belong, the Bible says, to one body. Irregardless of what's written on the outside of the building they attend. If people have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we belong to one body. One, shall we say, church. Now, I'm not talking about New World Order and all those kinds of things. I'm talking about the family of God. Across our city right now are hundreds upon thousands of people who may have been worshiping the Lord yesterday or last night or this morning or this afternoon or tomorrow night or some other day of the week who are exalting the same Christ we've been exalting, who are living for the same Jesus that we're living for, who've experienced salvation the same way we've experienced. And this body, this family of God, 
is huge in our city. Because of what God has done, Paul says, for you, I beg you to consider what God has done. Maintain unity. Because of God's grace in your life, walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. In other words, he's saying, be who you are. Through the cross of what Christ has done, we're already been reconciled to God. Already. We've already been brought into one body in Christ. Think about these things, he says, and act upon them. Think about them and act upon them. In other words, be who you already are. We're already part of the body of Christ if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Be who you are. Friends, if you are a school teacher, I would expect you to teach, to mentor, and to instruct. If you're a doctor, I would expect you to check vitals, diagnose illnesses, look down somebody's throat, all those kind of things that doctors do, perform surgeries. If you're a mechanic, I would expect you to fix vehicles, diagnose engine failures. And if you're a Christian, I would expect that we would conduct ourselves in a biblical fashion and act like one. Amen? Act like one. So the question we ask is, am I living in a way that is consistent with the power of the gospel? Am I living in a way that is consistent with the power of the gospel, that I've been redeemed from that life and now I'm in a brand new life? What does it mean to walk worthy? The Apostle Paul itemizes it here and he says, to walk worthy means we walk with all humility. Jesus used the word for humility when he said we're to be meek. Now meek is not doormat, it's not those kind of things. Humility. He says walk with humility. Walk with gentleness. Walk with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is the how does it look picture. How does it look when two separate congregations come together in just over a month or so? How does it look when they come together? Well, it looks like this. We walk with humility. We walk with gentleness. We walk with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that we already have. Not something we have to create. We already have it. It's already been given to us through Jesus Christ. And this is the how does it look picture. We're to be eager. We're to be zealous. We're to make every effort to maintain it. Now, friends, nobody wants to be a part of a church. And I'm not, by saying this, I'm not even suggesting it's going to happen. But take the extreme approach from it. Nobody wants to be a part of a church that is always fighting or characterized by division. Who wants to be part of that? I mean, sometimes in our family gatherings, we have those things, right? You've got, you know, the black sheep. And when you have a family reunion, there's a certain one that you hope doesn't come or whatever. And, and there's, you know, stuff going on. Well, in any kind of a family, that can be the case. 
in a church family you communicate, but nobody wants to be part of a church that's divisive or fighting. They don't want to be there. Be eager, Paul says. Don't be apathetic about it. Don't think, well, I guess if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. No, be eager to maintain it. It doesn't just happen. We have to work at it or it'll fall apart. My wife and I, we celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary, August 4th weekend. Now, trust me, she's been patient. Another word for patient is long-suffering. But for marriage to work, you got to work at it. How many know that? you got to work at it. For any kind of a relationship, for unity to be maintained, for love to be maintained, for harmony to be maintained, you got to work at it. It doesn't just kind of happen. It takes work or it falls apart. How do we eagerly maintain unity? Verse 2, he says, with humility and gentleness. The opposite of humility and gentleness is pride and arrogance. Do we come to the house of God? Do we come to the family gathering? Do we come thinking of ourselves or do we come thinking of others? Patient with one another. And perhaps one of the easiest ways to approach that is to remember how patient God is with you and I. Aren't you glad he's patient? I mean, how many times have we blown it? I mean, we have messed up whatever. And he is so patient. When he's almighty God, could do whatever he wants, but he's patient. And if we'll remember how patient he is with us, And remind ourselves of his patience. Perhaps we'll be reminded that we too need to be patient with one another. I mean, we have to be patient with our kids. We have to be patient with our spouse. We have to be patient with our neighbor. Patient with co-workers. Patient with fellow believers. Patient with, this is maybe harder, governments. We just need to be patient. Prayerfully patient, most often patient with humility and gentleness patience bearing with one another in love bearing with one another in love is not the rolling of the eyes you know how that is right when you look at something oh boy not them it's not the rolling of the eyes loving one another Like I said, patience and long-suffering. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a church where people are humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in, in love and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Can you imagine that kind of an atmosphere? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Paul says... That's who we are. Eager to maintain unity in the church through our walk. Eager to maintain through our walk. Secondly, eager to maintain the unity in the church through our 
doctrine. There's one body, one spirit, he says in verse 4 to 6, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's interesting, these few verses here, where Paul outlines the sevenfold unity for the believer, united around our common doctrine. And he has the repeated use of the word one. Now, I know that there can be differences in doctrine and theology. And we've probably all heard the phrase, it's doctrine that divides. We've seen it happen in churches. We've seen it happen to create multiple denominations. We've seen how that all has transpired in history. But there are some things that are very common about our doctrine. And friends, we need to major on the majors and minor on the minors. There's some things that when push comes to shove, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we have seen divisions over eschatology. When is Jesus coming back? Well, he's coming back pre-trib, no, he's coming back in the middle of the tribulation, no, he's coming back at the end of the tribulation, then others say, well, no, no, he's coming pan, it's just going to pan out in the end. All kinds of things have divided believers. And Paul is saying here, and I believe it's something we need to be reminded of, there will be times when you will come and somebody's going to disagree with your doctrine, your belief, your theology. We have to think for a moment, how much does that really, really matter? Now, the advantage of two churches in our case coming together, we both are sister churches. We both belong to the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada. We both have the same statement of fundamental truths and faith. We We both have the same practices. We both have, both churches are, it's great. I mean, it's like another part of the family joining another part of the family. So it's not a huge doctrinal issue. Other than there will be probably things that surface as you're talking with people about, but let's remember some of these things that the Apostle Paul says where we maintain unity. Number one, one body. But now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation. of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Friends, Christ only has one body. Just one. It has been said that in your physical body and in my physical body, you have 206 different bones. 206. But we don't name them individually. Like when we, when we, you came this morning and probably shook hands or gave somebody a hug and, and you didn't shake hands with them and say, meet my hand. Or you didn't say, this is the vocal cords of my voice and my throat speaking to you. We don't do that. Thanks, James. It is a body. It's... This is me. This is, this is Roy. I'm pleased to meet you. It's not my hand meeting you. It's who I am. It's all the bones together. It's the body together. And you have 206 or so separate bones. We're faced with a unique opportunity as a congregation. At a time when some churches are closing or dividing, we have a chance to show our community and to show other groups of believers what it looks like when two congregations put aside any minor differences, whatever those may or may not be, and for the sake of the gospel, join hands and unite into one. Now, yes, there's some legal stuff that it's going to take us a while to finalize and some operational functions that are going to take a little while to figure out. But coming in September, Northwest Family Church as a separate entity and Church in the Hills as a separate entity will no longer exist. It'll be Journey Church. We're not in competition with one another, but we're one in Christ. And let there be no us and them mentality. Let us strive to strengthen the oneness because of the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's all because of the gospel. It's all because of Jesus. So we're one body. Then he goes further. He says there's one spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by this one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit, 
were, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, how do we become part of that one body? By the regenerating power of the spirit of God. That's how. We're one body, one spirit, and then he says, one hope. Your final destination in Christ as a believer is the same destination as mine. We have a hope that is steadfast and sure. Amen? That hope we have is that one day we will be reunited with the Lord. There's one Lord, he says. Only one Lord in the church. It isn't me. It isn't Pastor Dave from Church on Hills. It isn't you. It isn't someone else. We all confess one Lord, one Jesus. Not the Jehovah's Witness Jesus over here. Not the Mormon Jesus over here. And not some other Jesus over there. One biblical Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all. The eternal Son of God. The second person of the Trinity who took on humanity, having a body and soul just like you and me. He was born of a virgin. He lived without sin. He lived a perfectly obedient life to God the Father. He died a substitutionary death for the sins of all of us. He was buried. On the third day, he arose again. He ascended. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will return personally to judge the living and the dead. There is one Lord, and that we profess together in church. Amen? One Lord. And he is the eternal Son of God. And other religions have their whoever, but our relationship with Jesus Christ, he's the only one who you can take and you can go to his tomb, and he is no longer there. He's not there. He's at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. Makes intercession for you and for me. One Lord, one. Paul says there's one faith because we only have one object of our faith. Jesus, the Son of God. There's one baptism, one Lord, one faith. Romans 6, 3 says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. One baptism. And then he said, One God and Father of us all. Ephesians chapter 2.22, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. One God and Father of us all. So Paul says we need to be eager to maintain the unity in the church through our walk, through our doctrine, and thirdly, through the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 of our text, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. 
He, de- he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Two churches are not merging in the power of their own strength, their own ideas, suggestions, but in the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. It isn't because of any natural abilities or talents, which there's, there, there are many of them. But it's because of the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is important in the body. There can be some natural feelings of because they have a larger um, nucleus of people. Well, are we going to be swallowed up? Are we going to, you know, be pushed aside? Are we going to have no place? Friends, listen. Everyone is important in the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other. We all have individual gifts to unite us not to divide us. Your right hand does not fight with your left foot. Normally, right? One part of the body doesn't start kicking the other part. Doesn't do that. We have an opportunity to put these steps to maintain unity through our walk to maintain unity through our doctrine, to maintain unity by the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are both Pentecostal, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled congregations. We have so much going for us. I know you know that I'm preaching to the choir, but I just want to remind us. We have such an opportunity. Two churches merging into one. There will be differences. Hello? There will be bumps along the way. And it won't work unless we eagerly work to maintain unity. Eagerly. As the two congregations come together, friends, we've got probably the greatest opportunity ahead of us where you can meet some new people and you can take and say, have you seen this area of the building? Have you said, can you see the view from here? God's creation? Come upstairs and look out the windows up here. You can really see the mountains. Hopefully it'll be a clear day. You can take them to a certain area, maybe in the building where maybe you say it was here where God spoke to me and revealed himself to me in such a real way. And my heart and prayer is that God will reveal himself to you and your family as we worship together in this place. I know you've already thought of those ideas, but what an amazing opportunity. We can maintain this unity through humility, gentleness, patience, having love towards one another in the way we walk, as we trust each other, the way we talk with one another, the way we affirm our unified doctrine and faith in Christ. We find ways to use our gifts to serve others in the church. 
And we can pray that God will unify us in more and more ways in the weeks and months to come. Friends, we are on the verge of perhaps the most exciting day in the history of this church. I mean, my wife and I thought it was exciting the day we moved into this building. And it was. But that will pale in relation to what God is about to do. Because it's not about a building. It's all about people. And as people and people come together under the banner of the cross, my Bible says, where people dwell in unity, God commands blessing. Amen? He commands, not just suggests good idea, he commands it. And friends, there is unity, we just have to maintain the unity we already have because of the cross. We need to work at it, and I urge us all together as a body of people, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But there's a question I need to ask you. There's a criteria for all of that. And unless we're part of the one body, the one faith, the one Spirit, the one baptism, the one Lord, the one God and Father of all, you cannot experience the unity of Christ. Unless you have come to the place to realize that you need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to avail yourself of the forgiveness that was provided for us when Jesus went to the cross. And there he took your sin, and there he took my sin. And until we as individuals, until each one of us, every person here has come to the place where you realize that without Christ, there is no hope. There isn't. We can try to maintain unity, but we'll never do it without Christ. Never. Without the one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of all. But you today, if you have not experienced the forgiveness of your sin in your life and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, you can experience that today there's no test to take there's no exam don't have to go online to do anything just have to say Jesus I'm a sinner the Bible says we're all sinners we've all fallen short of the glory of God but if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our sin 
If you've not accepted Jesus Christ this morning or you've totally surrendered your life to him, you can today. And I want to encourage you in the final moments of our service here today, in the quietness of your heart, where you would say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. And he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll take away the guilt and the shame and all the stuff connected with it. And he'll give you a hope and a reason to go on. Will it always be easy? I'm not saying life's going to be a bowl of cherries. But he'll never leave you alone. He'll always be there with you. If you'll take that one step and give your life to Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I thank you. For your son, Jesus, the one without sin, lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father, and yet he went to the cross voluntarily and took upon himself all of our sin. The scripture says that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. It isn't how good we can become. It isn't all the things that we can do. It isn't how nice we can appear. It has all about everything to do with Jesus. And through you, Jesus, and us asking you to forgive us of our sin and repenting of it, which just means, friends, that we turn away from it. And we turn towards Jesus Christ. And what he declares in his word, how we're to live, and allowing his spirit to direct and lead us. You're here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ. In other words, you have not asked him to forgive you of your sin. Surrendering your life to him and asking him to be in charge. I encourage you to do that this morning. And you can do that. Just a prayer in your own heart and say, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And by faith, I accept that you died on the cross for me. So I turn from my sin. And by faith, I accept your forgiveness. I declare you're my Lord, my Savior, my Jesus. If you prayed that prayer this morning, even as our heads are still bowed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would love to talk to you. love you came and talked to me and said I prayed that prayer this morning pastor or tell somebody you came with I prayed that prayer this morning maybe phone a friend this morning I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life tell somebody Father, I thank you for the regenerating work of your Holy Spirit in all of us. I pray, Lord, that as we continue in these days and weeks and months ahead, that we will eagerly maintain 
the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And we thank you. And friends, I say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad you came today. Because Friday was my wife's birthday. A very significant birthday. And um, we have a cake. <laughs>